Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Lord knows what He's doing, and He's working to fashion us into the people that He wants us to be. And He's committed, and He's going to work out His plan. And there's times when He has to kind of put a little pressure, but it's always so He can bring us back, He can build us up, and He can perfect in us what He's wanting to do. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapter 63 through 64. Now here's Pastor Brian. So Isaiah, on behalf of the people, he's crying out, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And isn't it amazing to think that that's exactly what God did? He tore open the heavens and he came down to the earth. So this very cry of Isaiah on behalf of the people was answered very specifically when the Lord Jesus came. Remember, the Lord would say, in his disputes and debates with the leaders, he would just state it as a matter of fact, I came down from heaven. I came down from my father. He said to the disciples at one point, he said, what's going to happen if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? So just this reality that he uh, tore open the heavens and he came down that the mountains might shake at your presence. Now, he's going to do that again. Heaven is going to open up and the Lord Jesus is going to come once again. So when he tore open the heavens and came to earth as a, a baby in the womb of Mary, of course, he came in that humility and in that mercy offering salvation. But when he tears open the heavens the next time and comes, He's coming as a judge. He's coming as the one who will execute the judgment of God upon the rebellious. And so as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. And so this is what is happening when the Lord returns. His name is being made known to the nations. You know, you think about it today and think of the nations, how the utter and complete disregard among the nations for the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's astounding, really, when you think about who Jesus is, that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the maker of all things. He created us. He created everything that there is. And yet the disregard for him is just astounding that, you know, you don't hear about him in, in the, the halls of parliament or, or Congress, so to speak. You don't hear about him in the, the academic environment. You don't hear about him in the important meetings that go on around the world. He, it's completely absent. And even more sadly than that, you hardly hear about him 
in the lives of families or individual people. But he is the Lord. And one day, the biggest surprise that humanity will ever have will be the return of Jesus Christ. Because it's the return of Jesus Christ, the one who has been here already and the one who declared that he would come again and who extended grace and mercy and salvation to everybody in that interim period. But there, again, there will come that time that he will come again. And this is what the prophet is describing here. So he says, when you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountain shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. Now, this is such a wonderful passage. And in the New Testament, Paul quotes this in the New Testament. And the translation in the New Testament is a little bit different, but the New Testament translation is getting at the essence of what is being said. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul quotes this passage and he puts it like this. He says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of a person the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He says, but he has made it known to us by his spirit. So Paul is talking about the blessing of having received Christ and the Spirit and how we know the Lord through the presence of the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us a taste of what eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of a person, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The Holy Spirit gives us a little glimpse of that. We get little glimmers of that at times. And, and we sense that love of God and we sense that his great plan for us and his eternal purpose. And, you know, you, you have those moments. Sometimes they are, they're fleeting. They're very, very brief. But suddenly it just, it just hits you. And, and in a flash, you, you sense the love of God and you sense that his plan for you is, is this amazing thing. God has these things in store for those who love him. And, and all of that becomes a reality. That's the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us at times. But I love the passage. And here again in Isaiah, it's worded a little bit differently, but I mean, essentially it's the same thing. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. So since the beginning of the world, no, one, no one's heard about a God who personally cares for you. That has been something that has been hidden from people because of sin. The God of this age, we're told, blinds the minds of those who do not believe lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So humanity, we go around under this shroud, under this veil of darkness, not being able to see 
this amazing truth that there is a God who cares for us. But man, once that veil is lifted, once we come to understand it is the greatest, it is the greatest news imaginable. It's the greatest thing we could ever discover. It's the greatest experience we could ever have to come to know personally the love of God. And we come to know that through receiving God's gift of love, which is his son, Jesus Christ. You know, as, as I even sit here and think about, you know, having been a Christian for a long time now, sometimes you can, you can just, you're so far removed from that conversion experience that sometimes it can just be sort of a, you know, it's, you know, it happened, it's there in the back of your mind, but just the, the, you know, the, the reality of it is just something that escapes you a lot of the times. But then there, there are those times where you just stop and you pause and you think back and you think, wow, how amazing was that to come out of darkness into light, to come to know that there actually is a God and that God loves me and that God deeply cares about me and that God actually has a plan for my life and that God has provided forgiveness for my sins so everything I've ever done could be washed away so that I could have access now right into the very presence of that God. I mean, that is amazing. And there's a whole world full of human beings who don't know that. A whole world full of people who they haven't heard from the beginning of the world. Their ear is not perceived and their eye has not seen and they're blinded to that. And God wants to use us. Of course, he works by his spirit to, to bring people to that understanding, but he wants to use us as well to show and to tell people this great news about what he's done and what's available to us. Man, the world would be a different place if tomorrow everybody met Jesus Christ. If everybody received the Lord tomorrow, we would have almost heaven on earth. That would be absolutely amazing. We know that that's not going to happen until the Lord comes back. But we also know that on an individual basis, that is not only possible, that is the reality that God wants people to experience. And so we who have come to know what no eye has seen or ear has heard, we know the Spirit has revealed to us and we have that to share with other people. And you know, as I think of sharing the Lord with people, I think sometimes we're, you know, we're kind of uptight. Sometimes we're worried about what are we gonna say? Sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, we're going to get into a dispute. And, and sometimes those things do happen. But I think if we thought about it, like, you know, I'm, I'm just here to, you know, the word witness is basically the idea, of course, is you're just a person telling what you know. So when, when a witness is called to the stand, you're called to the stand to give testimony as to what you saw or heard. And so when we think about sharing the Lord with people, you know, a great place to just begin is to just be a witness in 
that truest sense, just tell them what you've seen and heard. That's all you have to do. You know, you don't even have to argue about anything. You could just say, well, hey, listen, this is what happened to me. And you never know. I mean, some people might listen to what happened to you and think, that's amazing. I want that. I remember one time years ago, it just came to mind. I haven't even thought about it in decades. But I remember um, I was down at the beach and it was an evening and I was, I was down surfing and I got out of the water and there was a family on the beach and they were from out of town. They were from the Midwest or the East Coast or something. And they were standing on the beach and they were, you know, just sort of marveling at being on the West Coast and their toes in the sand and the waves crashing and all of that. And, uh, you know, somehow we struck up a conversation and somehow I ended up sharing the Lord with them. And, you know, the woman looked at me and she said, oh, I would love to have that. I would love to have what you just were talking about. I thought, wow, this is this is amazing. You know, here's here's a woman. I don't, she doesn't want to dispute, argue, debate, fight. She just says, I, I want to have that. And you know, my point is let's let's just be a witness in that sense. Just tell people what the Lord's done for you and then see what that does. See how that opens a door. See where that leads. Again, not to say we won't have times where we have to defend the faith or answer a question or correct a a wrong understanding of something. But man, let's just start with the story of, hey, this is what God did for me. I remember like the man in John chapter nine, they were, you know, interrogating this man because they didn't believe that he was born blind. And if he was born blind, how was he healed? And, and what do you mean this Jesus guy healed you? Jesus is bad. We know he's bad. We know God spoke to Moses. We don't know who this guy is. He's a false prophet. You know, this was all the things they were saying to the man. And the man says this, he goes, well, you know, I don't know any of that stuff. This is what I know. I was blind and now I see. And Jesus is responsible for it. And, you know, so that's, he was a witness. I was blind, now I see. And so we, we were blind, but now we see. We have that story to tell. We have that story to share. And so you meet him who rejoices, verse five, and does righteousness, who remembers you in your prayers. You are indeed angry for we have sinned. In these ways, we continue and we need to be saved. But we all are like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So verse six of chapter 64, a passage that is often times quoted and rightly so as we talk about our own natural condition. So by nature, we are all unclean. It's, it's a just because of the fact that we're born in sin, we are unclean. And because we are unclean, then all of our righteousnesses, all the things that we would try to present to God to commend ourselves, we have to realize they're flowing out of a unclean vessel. The source, the root is, 
is contaminated. So everything that comes out of it is contaminated as well. And so our righteousness, whatever righteous deeds we do, they're all tainted by the reality of sin. So our righteousnesses can never commend us to God. That's why we need a righteousness that is beyond us. And that, again, that's the gospel, right? That God made him who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, to become the sin offering for us that we might be made the righteousness that God accepts in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And, and that's exactly what verse 6 of chapter 64 of Isaiah, that this is what the conclusion that we have to draw based upon what's said here is we have to have an, a righteousness that is beyond us. We have to have a righteousness outside of what we're able to produce because all we can produce is like filthy rags. And so Paul, again, writing to the Philippians in the third chapter, remember he said, uh, he talks about all of the things that he did. Paul did a lot of good things as a Pharisee. And he said, according to the righteousness of the law, he said he was blameless. When you looked at those external commandments, Paul was meticulously devoted to keeping those commandments. And he said that he did it. He said, but those things that were gained to me, those things that I used to put my confidence in, he said, I have counted them but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness. See, that's it. Not having my own righteousness because my righteousness is not enough. My righteousness is tainted. And our sin nature is so deeply ingrained in us, you can't separate out from there. And you know, the, the times even when you you feel like you're doing your best and your motive is as pure and all of that, you know, we can, we can always find that there's some other element going on there. Like Paul said, you know, the good that I wanted to do, I found that when I would do good, there was evil present with me. So all of that to just drive home that point. We need a righteousness that we can't attain, but it's the righteousness that God gives to us as we put our faith in Jesus. So when you trust Jesus Christ, the righteousness that you need but you can't attain yourself is given to you as God's gift. That's called justification. That's where you are declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you just like your sins and my sins were imputed to Christ when he was on the cross. And so verse seven, and there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all we are the work of your hand. We are the clay, you are the potter. So again, this imagery comes up in Jeremiah's prophecy 
Paul refers to it in the ninth chapter of Romans. But here in Isaiah, you are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter. And and what a beautiful picture. You know, God is as our father and as a potter, he's making out of us. You know, we're we're these lumps of clay, literally. We, We are lumps of clay. That's not even figurative speech. That's real because our bodies are made of dust. And God is taking us and he's taking our lives. And like that master potter, he is working out his plan and and will. The Lord knows what he's doing and he's working to fashion us into the people that he wants us to be. And he's committed. And you know, a, a good potter knows how to do this. A good potter knows when the when things aren't working out, you know, where he's intending to go with the clay. So he just kind of, you know, smashes it all and starts all over again until he gets the, the perfect thing. And, you know, the Lord is like that. He's patient and he's gonna work out his plan. And there's times when he has to kind of put a little pressure and, you know, maybe sometimes where he kind of, you know, smashes us down a little bit, but it's always so he can bring us back. He can build us up and he can perfect in us what he's wanting to do. You know, over over the years, I just want to say that I have, again, just fallen so in love with just the, the reality of God's grace and how good he is and how even though we are all of our righteousness is filthy rags, as we say. We're, we're pots that are marred, yet the gracious, loving Father, our Heavenly Father, He keeps working with us, and He's committed to making us into the people that He's planned us to be. And just remember those words from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it. Such a great promise. God's not giving up on you. Don't think that he is. Don't buy into that idea that he has. It, you know, maybe you're caught up in sin. Maybe you've sinned and you're, you're, you're moving away from it, but you're just feeling like, you know, how could God ever forgive you? He can forgive you. He does forgive you. And, and if, you know, you've been sucked into sin, just turn to the Lord and just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And he will. And he will resume that work and he will complete that work that he promised. And so verse nine, we'll finish up here real quick. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. Again, this has not happened yet. It will happen later when Nebuchadnezzar comes and even again later when the Romans come. And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? And so the prophet is crying out, Lord, when are you going to deliver? And of course, God does deliver September, 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. Have you ever been wronged or hurt to the point that it's difficult to forgive the person or people that hurt you? Why is it so difficult to forgive those who have hurt us? In his book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Timothy Keller explains why forgiveness is so important. He also explains what forgiveness is and the various ways it's been misunderstood culturally, both inside and outside the church. Timothy Keller will help you truly understand all the dimensions of forgiveness. You'll learn the principles of forgiveness and the practical ways to practice forgiveness in your own life as you move towards relational reconciliation with others. If you want to know why forgiveness is so important and how you can forgive others who have hurt you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order, forgive, why should I and how can I by Timothy Keller. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.